Hello, mamas, and welcome to episode one in our perinatal mental health series. Today, we are chatting all about postnatal depression and Namita's journey through that. And I think you're going to really love this episode. So enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. It is an exciting new series being released today. This one has been in the makings for a while because I wanted to make sure that I tended to it in the ways I wanted to, to be able to really reach everyone that needed to hear. And it's all about perinatal mental health. So mental health through conception, pregnancy, birth, and beyond into motherhood. And we cover so many different facets of it today. But today I wanted to kick off with Namita's story. Now, Namita did my Pregnancy Posse program and I'd been in contact with her over the years and I didn't realize that she was doing all this work in this area until she reached out and shared her story with me. And I really wanted to share it with you all on the podcast today because it's a story about the depths of postnatal depression, but also the light afterwards. So she talks about how challenging that time was, but it's a really hopeful story because she came out the other side with all this wisdom and all this amazing knowledge. So we're going to dive into that, but please keep in mind, this is a four-part mental health series. So we're going to be hearing from three guest experts. We've got a social worker and a psychologist coming up. They're amazing interviews where we talk about preparing for postpartum, Busting through the perfect mother myth. We talk about anger and rage in motherhood, authenticity in motherhood, blocking out the outside noise. And then I jump on for the final episode and I'm doing a topic that we all need to know more about, which is self-care and how that has changed over the years for me and what self-care means to me now. So this is a really wicked four-part series. If you want to watch it all at once, remember it is inside the Pregnancy Posse membership. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Namita because you probably haven't met her before, but Namita is a pharmacist. She is an Ayurvedic lifestyle consultant, an Ayurvedic yoga teacher, a pediatric massage consultant, and a mother to two beautiful boys. So she had her own lived experience of postnatal depression from day five after delivering both of her boys. And since then, she has just dedicated her life to bring resources and information together to dispel the myths and misconceptions around postnatal depression, as well as smashing through the taboo and the stigma that surround any mental health conditions. Now, she's also written a book, two books, actually. One is called Shining the Light on Postnatal Depression, The Journey from Darkness to Healing. And we are actually doing a giveaway. So stay tuned for that. We're giving away one each of her books. The other one is a beautiful kids book. So this is a beautifully illustrated book to help older kids understand the transition if mum might be suffering from mental health conditions and what this might look like and how the family dynamic might be. And it's really full of hope and light. It's a really uplifting story. And it's just beautiful because I think it's so nice to have something like that tailored to children. So to go into the draw to win a book, we have one each of her books giving away. So two books. I just need you to comment on my latest post, which is specific to this podcast episode and tell me what your biggest takeaway was from this episode or what treatment tools have helped you or people around you work through postnatal depression. Or you can tag me in your stories and share this podcast. Don't forget to tag me so I can see it. And either of those two options will get you in the running to win these books. They are beautiful books. Namita has put a lot of time and effort into them. So Definitely make sure you go in the running for that. And I always want to hear from you anyway, at Physio Laura, jump on over to my socials and let me know what you got out of each podcast series. If you want to connect more with Namita, you can find her whole underscore istic healing co. So you'll find that in the show notes if you need me to spell that out for you. Now, in today's episode, we are working through Namita's own personal story with postnatal depression. Now, please note, we do talk about suicide ideation in this episode. So if you don't feel ready to listen to that, if that doesn't feel like something that you want to be hearing right now, obviously you skip on through, do what you need to do. But I just wanted to let you know before we jump in that we do discuss suicidal ideation. So just a little warning there for anyone that may not want to be hearing about that right now. 
We talk about the common signs and symptoms of postnatal depression because often these are actually very like quote unquote normalized symptoms. And I think it's really interesting to hear that they actually could be affecting more women than we realize. What treatments helped Namita with her depression? Misconceptions and myths around postnatal depression. Now, these are really fascinating. So definitely, definitely worth listening to that. We talk about bonding with your baby after having experienced postnatal depression. And we talk about the top tips to take those first steps towards getting help because that can often be the hardest bit. So this is a really powerful episode. This whole mental health series is really, really powerful. So please share it far and wide with any mamas that you think really might want a story of hope, a story of challenge, a story of, you know, we're, we've got this, we can get through this. So please enjoy. And yeah, I will see you all on the other side. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I feel like this series on perinatal mental health is actually really overdue. I'm really excited that you landed in my inbox because I feel like this topic is something that I really need to present on. I know so many of my audience are dealing with this and I really want to be able to provide a safe space for women to learn more about this and not feel alone. And I feel like given your journey, through this, you are the perfect person to be speaking to these women. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I've been following you for a while now. So to be here with you is, is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a good chat. So for the listeners, start with how you stumbled into working with postnatal depression and what your personal journey was and how that's then created the life you have now and the things that you teach now. Absolutely. So I am a pharmacist and so I've worked in community pharmacy right across Australia for many years. And I guess how I stumbled across women's health and specifically perinatal mental health really was through my own lived experience. So what happened was I've got two beautiful boys who are now eight and just turned four. And Yes, whilst I am a health professional and I knew all the signs and symptoms in theory, I knew it all, right? But when it happened to me, and it did, it, it literally, I had birthed my beautiful boy and on day five, I literally woke up and I had left the planet. So that's how I describe it. I was present. I was connected up until day four. It started with a little bit of anxiety, insomnia, very, very mild that those sorts of symptoms on day four. Day five, I was vacant. I was an absolute mm -hmm. vacant mess. My physical body was here, but I had no cognition, nothing. There was nothing. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't construct thoughts. I couldn't do the most basic tasks. I would look into space for hours on end. And the first time when I was the patient, I obviously couldn't recognize what was happening. My husband obviously had no idea what had happened to me. Lost. We were completely lost. And, you know, it, it really changed my whole life. It was, it was the most harrowing experience and I actually wouldn't wish it upon anybody. And, you know, so I went through the processes. I'm very grateful that I had beautiful support network to help me. And I did seek the help that I needed. And thankfully, it did only last three months, but those 12 weeks were awful. Mm. And so what really happened was I was really scared to have another baby. So it took four years before I felt ready. I was traumatized. I thought, I cannot put anyone through this again. I can't go through this again. And I changed every variable in my pregnancy, like a scientist, a true scientist that I am. I changed everything. You name it, it was not the same. And I thought, right, I'm going to control the outcome. And it, lo and behold, day five kicked in and I had a beautiful feedback. I thought it was the way I birthed my baby, the way I fed my baby, you know, how much weight I put on, how much I worked when I worked up until in my pregnancy. But it happened again. And the second time was a million times worse. I had the most harrowing suicidal ideations, literally, you know, I had in theory, I had it all. I had a beautiful, healthy baby. I birthed in the most glorious, connected way. And my biochemistry did it again. Day five, like a click of the, the fingers, I left the planet. And this time I didn't just leave the planet. I left the whole solar system. I wanted my life to to end. Let's just be really 
quite clear on how severe it was. And it was through no fault of my own and nothing, you know, it was nothing I did that caused it. Mm. You know, I had amazing support and I did get the help I needed. And exactly that, you know, fourth trimester, I know technically that doesn't exist, but week 12, I sparked back to life and I came back. But this time it was like, I knew, I knew, you know what, it's happened to me twice. I you know, conducted this experiment, I had so many reflections, I had so many learnings from my own lived experience. And I kind of learned the tools from the pharmacist's perspective. But then I went on to study Indian medicine, so Ayurveda. And I was drawn to that in a very powerful way. And I went on to learn about infant massage and how to teach that to other health professionals and mothers on how to do it. And it's like I've gathered all these tools now to be in this space to actually help women because suicide is the leading cause of death in the first 12 months postpartum, really? which to me is horrifying. That's in Australia. How that's, that. yeah, that is, that's the truth of the situation. Right. And yeah. we look away, we look away. We think that motherhood birthing is this glorious, amazing time. And of course it is, but you know, when we experience postnatal depression and you know, what I learned was that it was through no fault of my own. It was the reaction of the hormonal change that, you know, changed the biochemistry in my body. And, you know, the way my doctor explained it, it was a beautiful, beautiful way that gave me the solace that I needed to really accept that, you know, there's nothing that I did. This, this does happen. And it is so common. It affects one in seven women and mm. PNDA. So that's the period of pregnancy and postpartum affects one in five women. So these aren't small numbers. This is, you know, yeah. within a group of friends, easily, someone someone can have it and and I will admit there is a, a spectrum or there is a scale of, of severity it's not as if everyone will be as severely affected as I as I was but it's almost that severity and that trauma that I experienced I have nowhere else to go but to help women now you know I, mm. I'm in this space because I know the impact that it can has that it can have sorry and I know mm. it can break families apart and it can take lives and these this to me they're not numbers they're people they're people that mm. matter they're people who are an integral part of everyone you know circles and lives and 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 so we can't look away we can't look away and it and it is something that I feel there are lots of gaps and I I felt them myself and and so I'm trying to fill those gaps I'm trying to almost share my story and the tools that I've learned and the reflections I've learned so that others can gain solace and respite hopefully earlier and sooner and you know, and almost to share that message of hope, you know, that, that it can get better and that life yeah. after it can be so glorious and beautiful and to actually help give them the encouragement and the support to seek the help that they need to get there. That's so beautiful. And I think what a special thing to take your traumatic, awful experience and turn it into lemonade, <clears throat> you know, make make something of it because like you said, you have this empathy now you've had this lived experience and it's so beautiful for women to see someone on the other side of it when you are in the thick of it you want to yes. see a success story you want to see someone who's gone through it and I think that's really beautiful that you're you're working in this space now I think that's awesome I'm wondering Namita previous to that first experience with your first son had you ever felt these symptoms before had you ever felt like you'd been touched by depression anxiety any sort of mental health condition or was this totally out of the blue for you so for me it was totally out of the blue so I you know I wouldn't I've never had anxiety or depression before and in fact from the outside I was the picture of resilience so we are from Sydney but we moved to the Gold Coast to Cairns to Perth setting up our businesses so lots of stress lots of expansion lots of pick up and leave so resilience grit we're fluid we're flexible so you know there were there was no signs to say oh gosh you know this is a weak person and so that's a big myth that I wanted to dispel as well that it doesn't affect a certain type of person. It doesn't discriminate. And so I didn't have anxiety and depression. However, I will say that in my family line, there is a genetic component. So whilst I didn't suffer from it personally, yeah. you know, it's not to say that, say, my mother or her mother or, or, 
or people within the family. So there is certainly, I would say, a genetic predisposition. And mm. some might say, you know, I guess that gypsy life that we led could have been a risk factor in that we didn't have a solid space and a base. Mm. But having said that, my family joined me, you know, in Cairns and Perth. So I kind of, you know, I did still have that support structure. But in terms of my own, you know, medical background, I didn't. I didn't have any... Mm. Uh, signs or symptoms before. It's a surprise for you to feel that you've had this great pregnancy, you know, this wonderful birth, you're bonding with your baby, everything's going well on paper by the sounds yes. of it. And like you said, you've you've done the experiment as well. You've gone, yes. okay, this is what, how I, you know, so you had a C-section with your first and did you say you had some feeding troubles as well? Yeah, right? I did. So I had an yeah. emergency C-section and, and then, yes, lots of feeding troubles, which I yeah. attributed to my emergency C-section with physicianing and, you know, recovery. Yes. Yeah. And I can see how easy it is to be like, well, that must be the reason, you know, you're trying to look for something to say, what's the explanation for why I feel like this? And what I think is really unique about your story is you then went and did it round two, you changed it all up, you tried it all again, and you still got P&D. And that's not to say that for some women, they might change it all up and they might have a different birth experience. And that does completely affect their mental health postpartum. But what I think is really unique about yours is like what you said before, for you, it didn't discriminate. So it, it doesn't matter on paper what you were presenting. It was still coming to get you. And it was just still something that maybe really had very little control that you could manipulate the outcome. So I think that might be really powerful for, <laughs> I can see how people take it the other way, but really powerful for women to know that like, it, it's not your fault if this happens to you, like it's not because you didn't do this or you did do that or, or whatnot. Because I can imagine that a lot of women would play the blame game of, oh, well, if I'd just done this during my pregnancy, or like you said before, I worked less or I, you know, it's very easy to try and find where you could have improved that. So I just think your story is really cool and unique because you're showing, you know what, you did all the things and unfortunately it still happened. And that doesn't that doesn't mean anything about you or who you are. And we'll talk about that when we come to the myths and misconceptions later as well. But can you talk to us about the signs and symptoms of PND? So for you, it was about leaving this planet. So you felt really vacant. I would like you to maybe explore all the other feelings you had over those three months and maybe like the other common signs. Cause I think a lot of women, like when you said one in seven, was it? Yes. That, you know, yeah. I actually feel that would be super underreported because I think a lot of feelings postpartum are normalized, which are maybe actually not normal. So I'd love for you to just explain the common signs and symptoms of PND. So women out there might be able to go, Oh, hang on. I think this is something I maybe need to look into because I don't feel okay. Yes, absolutely. So for me, it started with almost like pins and needles on my chest. So that would have been day four. And that slowly became harsher and more severe. And I, you know, I couldn't ignore it anymore. So almost like towards the, as it progressed, like someone was stabbing me in the chest, just this all, it was a physical uh, feeling that I had. It was very, very powerful. And I couldn't sleep. I was riddled with anxiety. I would toss and turn and toss and turn. And it didn't matter if my husband took, you know, was looking after the baby. It wasn't as if the baby was awake that caused me to not sleep. I just could not switch off. My mind mm. would be racing from incessant thoughts, things that I couldn't even put my finger on. They were moving so fast. So it's this excess movement and anxiety there. I didn't eat. I had no appetite. So I think I I really, in that whole three months, I would have maybe a bite of a sandwich every day for those whole three months. By the end, I was just skin and bones. I couldn't eat. Everyone would say, you know, eat, eat, eat. I couldn't eat. Now, on the flip side of that, it could also look like someone sleeping a lot, a lot more than usual. It could also look like someone who is eating a lot more than they normally would. So changes in appetite. And I guess it's really change that we're looking for. So, you know, things like being able to think clearly, perform normal functioning tasks. So I, you know, if we go back and I was working, we traveled around, we had our own multiple businesses. I then, it took me an hour to make a bottle of milk. If you could imagine, I went, went from standing in front of the microwave to the sterilizer, holding the bottle an hour. I remember looking at the clock that distinctly stands out an hour to make a bottle of formula. That is not that is not something that I normally would do. That's not something that, you know, you would imagine would be a common time frame for it to take. Yeah. Being vacant, 
no joy, loss of absolute joy in things. So, you know, whether it be going for a walk on the beach, I just, I had no interest. It just did nothing for me. Being with my baby, this baby that was wanted and planned for and craved for was here, perfect, gorgeous, cute, the most perfect thing I could ever imagine, both times. But there was, you know, I was doing everything. I was going through the motions, but was there love? Was there that connection? Was there that oh, this, you know, what I feel now, you know, was there that? There wasn't. I was completely disconnected. That brain and heart connection, as I describe it in my book, it it, it wasn't there. And I couldn't have conversations. I disconnected from all my friends. I couldn't reply to messages, answer my phone. I couldn't. I physically couldn't do that. I didn't want to see anyone. But then with my own close tribe, so my husband, my parents and my siblings and in-laws, I would verbally articulate every intrusive thought that I had. And I think that was actually to my, that that, that was my saving grace because I didn't mm. leave anything to their imagination. So if yeah. I was silent to them too, they, they would have assumed something else. But because I actually left nothing to their imagination, I was articulate about everything. They helped me get the help that I needed. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, so me doing podcasts and speaking about it is quite, you know, it's what saved me. And I want that message to also Mm. save others about if you're hiding it and you're putting this mask on that everything's okay, it's going Mm. to take you longer to get better. And, you know, just recognizing that you're not feeling yourself, even simple things like getting dressed. I couldn't choose an outfit to wear. It sounds so trivial and and benign, but I couldn't. I just would sit there in my cupboard. My husband would have to pick things for me. You know, Mm. just things like this. These are very practical issues that happen. And imagine if you've got friends coming over who want to see the baby and the mother, this, you know, nurturing, apparently anchored woman, the matriarch of the family is hiding in her cupboard. I mean, things like that, you know, I think as well also for family members, it can become really easy to compare mothers and, and sort of you know, you can feel judged or it can add, it can compound how you're feeling because if they don't come from a space of understanding what's happening, it can make Mm. the situation so much worse. And so that's where if we have more understanding from partners as well, that's also part of the work I'm doing is to educate what it can look like on a day-to-day basis. So that if a Mm. woman or mother is feeling that way, that she's not made to feel like there's something wrong with her because it's not her fault. It's, you know, we Think of the hormonal changes. And and my doctor explained that it's what happens from pregnancy to breastfeeding when the milk sets in. And that's what happened for me, day five. Hormones drop by a hundred times in level. And that for me, it obviously flicked a switch in my biochemistry where thoughts that normally run on a track, they'd have derailed. They've gone on Mm -hmm. another track. And what I needed to do was to get my thoughts back on that track with that biochemistry. And for mm. me, the only way that was possible was through medication because it mm. was a it was a physiological, biochemical malfunction in my software, in my yeah. hardware, in my brain, you know. Um, and so those are the things to really watch out for. Change, change would be the biggest mm. thing if you're noticing huge change. Did you ever stop to consider is this a normal part of my postpartum experience? Like what made you go, no, this is not normal? Because I I just imagine so many women would feel a lot of what you said, but if it's their first time experience, like they'll either silence themselves because they have shame about feeling that way because you're not meant to feel that way, right? Um, Or they would just like um, just their own feelings because they would, oh, you know, it's just normal. It's normal to be this tired and vacant and you know, um, you know, lost, I guess, identify that, no, this is not normal. This is, this is something I need to get help with. Absolutely. So the first time, 100%, it took so much longer. It took until my six week appointment with my OB to actually say, look, I think I have, I think I'm not feeling myself. And I went in there, Mm -hmm. burst into tears But until that point, I actually did. I blamed sleep deprivation. I blamed changes in hormones. I blamed that it was the baby blues. I blamed that it was this, that, and the other. And I guess also for me, my sounding board was my sister who'd had three beautiful, healthy children who didn't have postpartum depression. And so she herself was, you know, she couldn't relate because she didn't have that experience. And so that made me feel like, there's actually something wrong with me. I actually thought, gosh, this isn't 
this, but then I actually didn't think that there was something wrong from a medical perspective. I thought, gosh, maybe I'm just weak and I can't cope and that I just need to snap out of it and I need to get on with it. So I, I kind of, I think the stories I heard made me feel more like there was something, you know, it's, it's not a normal reaction, but not from an empowered space, from a a space of feeling less than and a space Mm -hmm. of, gosh, you know, get, pull yourself together. You've got this. And I, Mm -hmm. I tried, I really did try from that positive mindset. But if your biochemistry in the same way, if you've broken your ankle, try as you might to walk on it. If you're not getting the help and the support and the, you know, the, the things that you need to actually allow that to heal and recover, it doesn't matter what your mind says, you know, you actually, mm-hmm. so so it was the turning point of in my OB's office at six weeks crying when they've only ever seen me as this bright, vibrant, bubbly person that they mm-hmm. were able to identify and say, look, Namita, you're not, you know, we, you're not, this is what's happening. You, you know, you mm-hmm. most likely have post natal anxiety and depression and here is where you're going and they spelt it out for me and I that was what I needed I needed someone to steer me to where I needed to go and it saved Mm. my life honestly it saved my life and I'm so grateful for that had Mm. part of the other issue I noticed as well was we see we used to see little sorry we used to see different child health nurses. And I'm sure that's the same in, you know, that was the same for me in Cairns, the same in Perth. So every Mm. time we would see a child health nurse, it was a different person who didn't know my baseline. They didn't know how Mm -hmm. I was. So they would come in. It looked like everything was fine, but Mm. I wasn't. I had suicidal ideations and I didn't feel comfortable to be able to articulate to them because I don't know them. I was fearful of what that would mean if I actually openly told someone, a health professional, that this was Mm -hmm. happening. I was really frightened of the consequences that I might be locked up or my baby would be taken away from Mm -hmm. me. And so Mm -hmm. those are the gaps in, in the current system that I feel are also there. You know, we need Mm. someone who has that rapport. And so going to my OB's office who they could see themselves, they gave me the biggest hug and I felt seen and heard and I felt like there was, gosh, someone's here helping me and and I don't Mm. have to pretend anymore. And I could take that mask off and, you know, that was a beautiful safe space. So that's also part of the work I'm doing to help educate health professionals, especially frontline health professionals that see women during mm-hmm. their pregnancy and postpartum and their partners to have conversations and have that open dialogue because it took, a, I mean, six weeks is a long time and, and had had I actually actioned or actualized anything that I wouldn't be here today, right? Like that's yeah. the that's the reality. I would be a statistic. I would be mm. another one, another tally on the board. So, you know, these are all things that yeah, a part of that need to always change as well, I feel. Safe space. I think that's something I probably hadn't considered, but you need to feel safe to share this information. You need to know that, yeah, there's no fear around what will happen if I tell people I feel this way. And that's such a valid valid concern I imagine a lot of women will have about you know yeah will they take my baby from me you know what does this mean about our situation Um, which sounds absurd but equal parts also completely realistic I can totally empathize with that um, that feeling because you want to know that like no I can just need help you know I'm not saying I can't do this I just really need support right now Um, yeah so I think that's really really important having that safe Um, now you mentioned that you went on medication that's a huge difference to you which is awesome to hear I'd love to know as well if you tried any other treatment tools or techniques or things that helped you through just to give other women listening some guidance on what's out there as options for them when they're feeling this way. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I what what really first started the whole process was seeing a like it was a women's health clinic, but that had a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And so I started off with the psychologist, but essentially because of the severity of the symptoms that I had, there wasn't really no other option. We started medication and then we went through CBT and IPT and and, and other cognitive behavioral therapies essentially. But for me, Mm -hmm. what was really interesting was as soon as 
the biochemistry buzz, and I, I describe it as it buzzed me back to life, almost like I sparked mm. one morning. Literally, I woke up and I knew that I was back. I knew oh. that I had awoken. It was like this black cloak. Someone had unzipped me and I walked through. I could breathe. I could think. I had that clarity. I could talk. I mm. could smile. I connected. I remember crying both times, just holding my babies as soon as that mm. moment happened. And then guilt, guilt said in that, how could I have done this? How could I have said all these things and felt this way? Mm. But for me, for me, I guess for me, for my situation, but medication was, you know, was my yeah. saving grace. And it was the scientific experiment or scientific reaction that needed to happen for me to come, to come right. But I feel like I was on the one scale of the spectrum but yeah. there are so many options you know speaking whether it's birth trauma there there can be PTSD associated with that so having counseling and speaking with a trained psychologist about strategies to help work through that mm. you know things working through certain mindsets and perspectives speaking to a trained professional that this is their bread and butter is truly transformational and there's no one size fits all there's no one size fits all in symptoms there's no one size fits all in treatment and so that's another essentially a, a myth or a misconception that's out there that you know it is it's this shade of multiple shades of gray and yeah. there's so many options out there and it might just be one counseling session that you need to feel heard and validated or mm. on the other spectrum scale of the spectrum it could be that you need to be admitted into a mother baby unit and all of mm. those are okay they're all there to help and support you and to, to allow you to get the help that you need and so there mm. is a vast scale but what really is the opening step in all of this is first recognizing that you're not feeling yourself. That's yes. the most important, important step. And when you can do that, and when I almost feel like the people around you can understand that and help to mm. hold your hand, because I remember I, I found it really difficult to make convers like phone calls, sorry, with people to set up appointments and schedule mm. these things. I couldn't, I couldn't even make I couldn't find an outfit to where I surely wasn't going to sit there and work out logistics on the phone. So my husband had to do that. You know, he mm. had to, whilst looking after the kids and all the responsibilities at home, thinking his wife is going to, you know, not be there in the morning, he was carrying all of that burden and stress as well. So I really do feel like we need that support system to help. Seek the help that you need. And the first step could certainly be your GP or your obstetrician, you know, somewhere where you've had that rapport and connection before. But even if not, a GP is a beautiful space to start because they're almost like a referral point. They can set up everything that you need in that one place. Yeah. That's their job. That's what they're there yeah. for. And yeah. You know, I, I think that that's always going to be the the best the best base. It's great advice around taking that first step. It doesn't necessarily have to be you because, like you said, you're probably already so overwhelmed and overloaded with the day to day daily tasks. Don't take that extra load on yourself. Yes. That's where it's so important, right? To confide in your loved ones and explain to them, I'm not okay and I need your support and get them to do that for you. Because I can imagine that, yeah, like you said, making a phone call would have just been way too much for your plate, way too much for your mental load while you're trying to, you know, deal with what's going on internally for you. So that's really great advice. I love that. Now, myths and myth misconceptions about PND. I, I saw a post that you wrote on this and I thought it was really, really valuable. And I would so love for you to explain that on the podcast because I think these are all so valid and obviously you worked through them yourself um, and they're false <laughs> and really valid for women to hear common myths about PND and how they're not actually true. So could you walk us through those? Yeah, absolutely. So the first myth, and there's lots, you know, I might even forget some, but the first one would certainly be that a woman can control it, that she can snap out of it, that it's something she can rein in. It's not. It's not something she's doing on purpose. It is something that's happening internally as a result of hormonal changes that changes biochemistry. We need to be very clear about that. It's not no amount of toxic positivity is going to will your way out of it. So that would be the first. The second would be that mothers who have it are lazy or that they can't handle stress. That you know, and 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 I actually felt that in at times where people may have compared. Look, I've had this many kids. Why can't you do it? You've only got one. 
But that's you can't do that. That's not actually what this is an indication of. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not something that, you know, you're you're failing at. You need yes. to understand mm-hmm. in the same way if you had preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, this is a physiological issue. And yes, of course, there can be factors where it it, it is, you know, there there can be, you know, there are things that possibly mindset and working through trauma can can help to rectify for sure. But as a whole, as a general condition, it's a physiological condition. So we need to not forget that. I, I guess we touched on it before that PND doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. who you are, you know, how successful you are, your education status, anything like that. It, it really is something that can affect anyone. And it knocked on my door on day five, unbeknownst to me the first time. The second time we were more prepared. We had all our ducks lined up. We thought if it happens, right, we know what to do. And so, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. So I think that's actually very, very important to know. The, the disconnection in terms of the mother with her baby, it can be very easy to say, well, she never wanted that child. That's why she's not connected or she's just too busy in her career or maybe she's not maternal enough. But what is the myth here is it's the condition that causes the disconnection. It's the changes in biochemistry. We don't have the, I guess, the privilege of the, you know, dopamine and the serotonin and the oxytocin that is doing what it needs to do to have that connection and love. And as soon as my biochemistry restored, that moment I buzzed back, that connection was there in abundance and in overload, you know. I I just really feel like... The disconnection is the saddest part of this whole process for me. I mm. That is something that is so heartbreaking because how a mother who can go through a beautiful pregnancy and want this beautiful child and then it goes, you know, how, how can anyone do that to a mother and her child? And, and I mm. think of those, you know, all those weeks that I didn't hold and savor and smell my beautiful babies when they were the most innocent and sacred and divine beings that what would have wanted their mother, but she wasn't. Where was she? She was in the, the corner of the room, you know, yes, I'll change the nappy, but he give it to, to my husband to hold or my mm. mother or mother-in-law, you know? Mm. So that is the most heartbreaking. And it's, it's the condition though. It is the condition. It's nothing to yep. do with, with, you know, your own selfishness or being lazy or that it's too hard. It's it's the condition. Mm. And I guess another myth is that if it's happened once, that it will happen again. That's not necessarily true. It is for me, fine. But for others, it may not be the case. So don't be frightened or don't hold yourself back if, you know, you feel like it may happen again. That's not necessary for all. You may have not had it the first time, but have it the second time. There's no one size fits all. There's no, you know, box that you can sort of fit yourself in necessarily. I also feel like there's lots of myths around medication and around, you know, seeing a a psychologist or having therapy there. There's a lot of taboo and stigma that that is associated with that. And and I guess part of the work I'm doing is to openly share what's available and, and, and to help normalize it, to help allow people to recognize that they're treatment tools that that help, that can help you, that can take you from A to be safely and so that you can live a life that you you truly deserve. And especially around medication, obviously as a pharmacist, I have that extra passion, you know, that there are so many myths that surround medication, that it's a quick fix. You know, it's not a quick fix. It, 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 mm. it is something that can take time as well. But, you know, it's not an easy answer. It's not a way out. It's not, you know, people often think that, you know, it's that it's you're cheating to get yourself out. Mm. No, no. In the same mm. way, you would possibly take insulin to lower your blood glucose levels. It's the same thing. It's a physiological condition, and and so I think that's another myth that really needs to be debunked. Yeah, and I guess the biggest one would be that it can get better on its own. I think that mm. is a huge one for me because it's so easy to ignore it. Oh, look, once she's slept, or once I've once my hormones normalize, or once I start breastfeeding, stop breastfeeding, once I mm. whatever, whatever you, you fill in the blank. It's you can't. Please don't ignore it. Don't walk away. Yeah. Don't look away. Don't think that it's magically going to get better because it can have the capacity to go. It can escalate, and if it mm. escalates, you know, suicide is the biggest 
leading cause of death. I mean, that that statistic alone should, sh- I want it to shake people up that mm. this is real and it can yeah. it can spiral and we, we, we see all sorts of stories on the news and it's so quick to point the finger and judge and blame. But for me, I think the underlying cause is always going to be a mental health condition that was that was not looked after in, in its entirety. So yeah. that, that's a huge, that's a huge one for me. Yeah, we need to take it seriously is what I'm hearing yes. from you. you know, yes. We don't just go, oh, that's normal. You're a new mum. You're tired. You'll be okay. Yes. It's like, and maybe you will and maybe yes. some people will, but let's follow that up. You know, are you yes. still feeling like this? Okay, well, it's been a couple of weeks now. Do you think that maybe this is unusual and maybe we should follow this up? Like, I think it's just opening that dialogue, right? Like, are you okay? And yes. do you need help? Is this like, is this normal? Do you feel like this is okay for you? Cause I'm sure some people will have the ability to say, you know what, I can acknowledge I am just really tired, but otherwise I feel fine. And other people will use that as an open door to say, you know what, actually I've been having all these thoughts and actually like, I don't feel okay. And I actually really need support, but sometimes you need to initiate that. So if you're listening to this and you've got a friend, you know, who has just had a baby and doesn't seem right or is not answering your messages or you're concerned in any way, like just opening that dialogue and conversation and allowing them to share safely. I think that's really important. Now, I have a couple of follow-up questions, so I hope I remember them all. Medication. So I think another stigma, um, and I know this from friends and clients around stigma and fear around taking medication is that they think they'll be on it forever and they get worried about, well, if I start taking this now, am I ever going to function without medication? So can I ask you, were you on it for long? Did you need to take it for an extended period of time? Absolutely. Perfect question. And that is one of the myths for sure. So the answer for me was the first time when it sparked me back to life, I used it for six months and then I weaned yep. off it over a period of a month. So that was it. Yep. By, the, by t- the time my baby was nine months old, I did not have medication. And the second time, because it was a second relapse, it was 12 mm. months. And then yep. after that 12 months, I slowly weaned off. And I, you know, I, I don't, it's never happened again. So for me, no. you know, it, it's not something that I, I you know, I, I appreciate that people can think that they will be on it for, forever. But I guess if we just think that hormones can change biochemistry and once the mm. hormones normalize, once your biochemistry is restored, you have the capacity to wean. But in, uh, I guess, consultation with your GP, I would never, ever recommend anyone just weaning off them themselves because there are mm. so many side effects and, you know, essentially your body can go into withdrawal. So it needs to be monitored and watched. And yes. that's something I would never recommend doing on your own. But know that it's not a lifelong situation and that yeah. it's, you know, yeah, not something that you have to be on forever. To have that really good collaboration with your care professional so that they know this is not something I want to take forever. I yes. want to have an action plan here of when I'm getting better, can we reduce it? Can we wean, you know, like to know that that dialogue's really open because um, I have certainly heard many a stories where people are prescribing and then it's set and forget and it's not followed up. So I think it's just about having that open dialogue of I don't want to be on this forever, but I need help now. And what can we put in place? What sort of follow-up can we have to make sure that we all achieve what we're hoping for here? Um, and as a physio, how I align, when you've hurt your ankle and it's really bad and it's bruised and it's swollen and you can't walk, you can't do any exercises, sometimes it really can be beneficial to take a Panadol so that you can do some rehab. So you don't want to take Panadol forever because that's not going to get to the root cause and that's not going to really fix the problem, but it allows you to feel that little bit better so that you can do your rehab. And so I think sometimes that really helps people understand with mental health, sometimes taking medication allows you just to get back to enough function that you can then put practices in place, that you can maybe bolster more support, you can do you know some more therapies and some more work on yourself which is impossible to do when you're in like a really debilitated state. Um, So I feel like that's always helped. And when I use that analogy as well of like, if they're really hesitant to take medication, that sometimes you just need that to just up you a little bit more, get you in a better functioning place that you can do all the other therapies and whatever you need to do. Um, And then, you know, you can let eventually and you've got all the extra support practices in place. So I hope that makes sense for those women who are hesitant. Um, my other question was around bonding with you that you had a lot of guilt and 
as soon as your spark came back, you were like, oh my God, I can't believe that I haven't enjoyed those snuggles. And like, how did that affect you long-term in your relationships with your boys? Did you do anything in particular to try and you know, for want of a better, like make up for lost time. Like how did you navigate that? Because I can imagine that would be a really sticky area for a lot of women. Absolutely, absolutely. So for me, I guess when I did come back to life as I describe it, I the second time round, it was almost like a rebirth. So I actually savour and devour not just my boys, and of course I do, but the whole of life. So everything, the mm-hmm. the ups and the downs, whatever it is, I appreciate the 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 nowness, the isness that it is. And I don't ever take it for granted because for me, that same afternoon wasn't promised. So with my boys now, I am ever present. I am ever connected, focused. I give all that I have to them and we bond and connect. And it's real. Like it's not even, you know, I, I get mad at them. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not as if I'm just always joy, joy, joy <laughs> with them. I'm, yeah, I'm still I'm still a mother at the end of the day. But for me, it, it, it's almost like, you know, that that disconnection has allowed that connection to be so much more yeah. sacred and so much more mm. divine and I don't take it for granted. And for me, I guess part of that disconnection was to help other women where I have created some meditations and guided meditations to specifically, you know, whether it's affirmations whilst the baby's sleeping. So where that disconnection hasn't been there where the mother would normally say, I love you, I, you know, you're worthy or deserving to be here, that there can be subtle messages that the baby can hear in the background. And so I'm trying to fill in those voids and gaps that I felt that I wished my boys knew at the time, you know, three months, it seems little, but it's a long time. And, and you know, I, I kind of am almost trying to help others not have to endure that like I did. And so now with my boys, we do, like I'm, I'm now an Ayurvedic yoga teacher in, in Ayurveda, we it's all about connection and and mindfulness and connecting with our senses. And, you know, we live in a very mindful way together. So we do yoga together and we do breathing exercises together and we talk about whatever pops up, any kind of feelings and thoughts, we work through them together. Mm. And, you know, I guess I've been lucky that I've been able to manage our businesses and still be with my, with my boys. So, you know, maybe I, I, I there is a part of me that feel like I am trying to make up for it, you know, but, you know, there's part of me that knows that they only deserve that. They deserve their mother who's here and present and anchored in with them as well. I I sort of feel like when that root, that tree, when that actual tree is isn't rooted in the ground they're lost but when I'm here and present and and with them they're anchored in a safe space that they that they can thrive and Mm. and so part of me it does come from guilt but part of me is that I know that they deserve it and it's almost like a a fresh perspective on life had had I not gone through that I might have jumped straight back to, you know, being, living my own individual life and kind of tending to them in between. But I kind of, I I, I kind of can't choose that anymore because I know what not being here look like. And so I guess that's a conscious choice that, that I've made. And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that, yeah, I've been able to, to do that. Like, I love hearing stories like this of someone who's gone through the lowest of lows and it is turned into the highest of highs. You know, like you've really taken that lesson and you've made something of it and your life sounds so much richer because of this experience. And I think that's really, really beautiful. I think that's such a beautiful, like, you know, motto and way to live, to just take those hard times and really use them as lessons to, like you said, you you know now, you, know, you can't yes. unknow what you yes. know and it's enriched your life for the better. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you certainly didn't have that perspective in the thick of it, but, you know eight, your oldest is eight now. So eight years on, you know, you have this beautiful, rich, amazing life. And I think that's really beautiful for women to hear who are in the thick of it right now. So if, if you had a mama in front of you right now, who is freshly postpartum, or maybe not even, maybe I'm sure there's a stigma around that as well, right? Like women who are further down the track thinking, oh, I'm past the hard bit. Why do I still feel this way? So wherever you are, but if you're feeling low or if you're feeling like it's dark and you're in the thick of it, what advice do you have 
for someone right now who might be sitting in front of you saying they're not feeling themselves and maybe what small steps could they take today to start moving in the direction of healing? Absolutely. So first of all, I guess I would say, so from an Ayurvedic perspective, it can actually take up to five years if you're not correcting the imbalance of birthing and the the change that happens from pregnancy to postpartum can take five Mm. years. So people who five years down the line are still struggling with sleep or, or appetite or not feeling great in their cognition and feeling a bit scattered or anxiety. That's, that's, it's, you know, Ayurveda kind of explains that that can happen. So, you know, I, I would first say, I hear you and I see you and I would Firstly, love to say to them that it's it's not their fault and that there's nothing wrong with them and that they are perfect as they are, that yeah. this is very common and that the, I guess my other thing would be to try and rally their support network to help them so they don't feel alone, that they don't have to venture through this alone. So whether it's their partner, spouse, their parents, siblings, friends, whoever. And then I would also then encourage them for their first step to be to chat to their GP. Because the Mm. GP can establish a mental health care plan and that can sound daunting. It can sound scary. It can sound like you're being instilled into a system. I get that. That was part of my fear as well. But with COVID, the impact of COVID, they've also added an extra 10 psychological sessions in a calendar year. So 20 sessions that you can have with a psychologist or, you know, they can add whatever. If you need a social worker to help with day-to-day logistics, if you need a physio, whatever help you need, a GP is the perfect place to start and they can refer you. If you're struggling to get an appointment, they can help rally that for you. You know, they are your frontline on the floor person that can help establish the help that you need. And I would tell this beautiful mother that she will get better. And I know in the thick of it, it doesn't look like there is any way out or that nothing is going to help and that this is going Mm. to be your life forever. But I felt like that. I felt like even the second time, even though I knew I got better, I did not believe. I'm like, right, this is it. This is my life forever. And that's, you know, enter the ideations that feel so real because you just think this is going to be my reality every day. But Mm. no, 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 that... It's not. It's a condition like diabetes. Once we've had, you know, once that correction is made, whatever form mm. that may be, whether it is, you know, whether it, whether it's counselling or therapy or you know, more invasive therapies or treatments, it's okay. You're going to be okay. And we live in a world now where Western medicine is is beautiful and it's you know science has come so far but also eastern philosophies and eastern modalities so practices that you can make at home you can do these yourself Mm. with whether it's making nutrition choices or exercise choices or using your senses with smells touch taste you know warm massages mindfulness meditation these are all little things that have subtle effects and together which is what my passion is, is bringing Eastern and Western modalities together to hold the woman in her entirety because we can't just focus on one. We have to, it's two, you know, yeah. the whole yeah. woman and being needs to be supported. And there there are so many things that can help you. And so not to give up, never, ever give up. Mm. And days that you're having that you may feel like are lasting forever that you can't go on, know that there is so much light out there. There is, and you will mm. have access to it. You know, there's no hard and fast rules as to how long that would take, but mm. but it is available to you and you're so deserving to, to receive it. Yeah, that's a big one, the worthiness, isn't it? I think so much of it comes down to that, knowing that you are worthy of getting better and receiving help and thriving, not just surviving motherhood. Yes. You're so worthy. Oh, Amazing. I feel like anyone listening to that, I, I feel like you've just given me a warm hug. <laughs> I feel like anyone listening to that who was feeling a bit average is feeling really hopefully like nourished right now and it has a really good guide on like it doesn't have to be hard. Just take these small steps and just slowly, slowly claw your way back towards yourself, feeling yes. more like yourself. And like you said, there's so much help available. So Oh, thank you so much, Demita. That was just wonderful. And I know this is going to help so many women. I can hear your passion coming 
through your words, I can see how lit up you are. So we'll definitely link to all your amazing resources. And is there anything we haven't covered that you want to touch on or any final words before we wrap up? Uh, so there were, there were a couple. The first one was that the time frame of symptoms that you should be weary of is if it lasts for more than two weeks. So if it's a, a daily, a regular occurrence for a two-week period, I actually didn't mention that before. So, you know, if it's happening every now and then, that may not be, you know, warning signs that that, mm. that that they have postnatal depression or anxiety, but that's that two-week continuous time period. Mm-hmm. So that would be one one aspect. The other aspect would be the acknowledgement of the the stress or the strain or the tensions or pressures that can happen within a home. And I think to almost acknowledge that that can happen. And if that's the reality for some women, that it, I, I hear you, I can acknowledge that. And to know that that they will get through it. And so in the book mm. that I've written, I've there's a whole chapter on healing exercises and they're things that my husband and I had to work through together to help really address any tensions that came up because, you know, mm. in, a, in a high pressure, high stress situation where there is sleep deprivation, there's a, two beautiful children that need to be looked after and a, a wife that's on death's door, the, the reality was there was a lot of you know stress in, in the home. And so we, mm. we, we navigated through everything, you know, every aspect with open communication when I was better. I would definitely not do mm. this when you're not well. Obviously, you don't want to add more fuel or, or anything to the fire. But really, I feel like it is something that we need to acknowledge as well, that in any kind of family dynamic, if there is stress and strain, that you're not alone, that it's, you know, you will get through this as well. And that, you know, there's a lot of healing exercises that have specifically addressed, you know, things that, that I experienced and even meditations working through guilt and fear and shame and anger and resentment, all those things that pop up, then, you know, I've created those meditations to actually help almost solve the the issues that I experienced because I know others would be doing or having the same thing. So yeah. I almost feel like the whole the whole package, the, the whole package of postnatal depression is so far and wide. And, you know, I think we really need to kind of help help her in all of the aspects. You can't only fix biochemistry but leave her yeah. hanging with with torn relationships. And I think that's also really important that to hold her holistically means to hold all of her, her mind, body, spirit, soul, you know, and to mm. encourage beautiful relationships. And so, yeah, I think that was another aspect I didn't touch on as well. With you, um, how I approach what I do for work is just focus on one tiny area and assume that's going to complete the picture. There's so many facets, like you said, mind, body, spirit, it's all part of it. So yeah, I love that East meets West whole body picture. I think that's really, really valid and really, really important um, to be able to nourish someone for, yeah, I think that's wonderful. Ah, thank you so much, (laughs) Namita. (laughs) Thank you. That was lovely. Hey mama, I really hope that that episode was really uplifting for you. So whilst any sort of mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, particularly in those vulnerable motherhood days, it can be very sensitive. It can be very challenging to talk about. But what I really like is sharing a message of hope and a message of positivity and a message that you can get help and this doesn't need to be hard and you are worthy of getting help. You're worthy of feeling better. And it's just one foot in front of the other, one small step at a time. So I really hope that resonated with anyone that needed to hear this message today. Please share this with any friends that you think might be having a hard time, might need to hear a story of hope and positivity from Namita. Please do share this around. And remember, we are giving away two of Namita's amazing books. One is about her journey through postnatal depression and all of the different resources and tools that she utilized. Uh, That is an amazing book. And we're also giving away her children's book, which is this beautifully illustrated book to help children navigate what that family dynamic might be like when mum brings home a baby and is not doing so well. I think that's really powerful to have something like that on standby. If, If this is something that maybe you're even preparing for, if you think maybe this is something that might, you know, come across my radar once I have another baby, I want to be prepared and help my older child transition if mum's not feeling so well, you know, bolstering support and information and resources. It's amazing. So to go in the draw to win those two books, you just need to comment on 
this social media post for this specific podcast and tell me what your biggest key takeaway was from this podcast episode. Or tell me your personal experience with postnatal depression and what treatment tools helped you. Alternatively, you can share this on your Instagram stories or your Facebook stories and make sure you tag me at PhysioLaura so I can see it. Either of those two ways will put you in the draw to win one of these books each. So I'm so excited to be giving away some books. I think it's such an incredible gift that Namita has given us all. If you want to connect with her, you can find her at Instagram at thrive underscore holistic healing co. I will put that in the show notes because it's a bit of a mouthful and you can go over there and chat with her more if you'd like to. Remember, this is episode one in a four-part mental health series. So we have three amazing episodes coming up where we discuss with a social worker and a psychologist and then a solo episode with me. We're talking about topics like busting through the perfect mother myth, preparing yourself for good postnatal mental health and support, anger and rage in motherhood, authentic parenting, tuning into your intuition and blocking out outside noise. And then I rounded up with a whole topic on self-care. So I know you're going to love this. So make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you do not miss out on any of these episodes coming up. And there is also some amazing links from this episode, plus all of the episodes in this series. So all four are pre-uploaded inside my online membership, The Pregnancy Posse. So if you do want to go check those out, you know where to find me. It's at thepregnancyposse.com. And we know how good exercise is for our mental health. So if you're looking for a little bit of an endorphin booster, if you're feeling like you want something to just help boost your spirits, boost your energy, we do 10 to 15 minute pregnancy workouts every single week. You don't have to think about it. You can get your body moving. Maybe that can be your first small step in the right direction today. See how that feels, Phoebe. You can find out more at thatpregnancyposse.com. I will catch you soon for episode two in this perinatal mental health series where we're talking all about busting through the perfect mother myth. I'll see you soon.